Let's pray. Father in heaven, we don't have to guess that when we ask for your help to understand your word, that you are eager not only to listen but to answer such prayers. Lord, we need your help. We don't, we don't presume because we've uh, heard this word that we understand it sufficiently. We need your assistance. We need your light on the path on this page. Lord, especially as we think about prayer this morning and how prayer and the promises of God mingle with one another, I, I ask that you might do something profound even in one or person's heart or maybe several here this morning that you would forge an unbreakable connection between your words to us in Holy Scripture and our words to you in the privilege of prayer. This is a, a, a connection that was explosive in my life not long ago, and so I ask now that you might do the same through the preaching of this word we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. They may be the most powerful and penetrating words on prayer that I think I've read outside of the Bible. I can remember exactly where I was when I first heard them. It was Memorial Day weekend, May 2003. And I have a a journal entry to prove it, which you don't need to hear right now. You just need to hear those words. The appearances mislead. Prayer is never the first word. Prayer is answering speech. Prayer is not primarily address to God, but response to Him. Prayer is not something we think up to get God's attention or enlist His favor. Prayer is answering speech. The first word is God's word. Prayer is a human word and therefore never the primary word. Never the first word simply because we are never first. So it requires effort. Repeated, imaginative, biblically shaped effort to acquire and maintain our awareness of the previousness of God's speech to anything and everything that comes out of our mouths toward Him. And the quote ends this way. For every word that God speaks to us, there must be an answering word from us. No word of God can go unanswered. It must be answered. End quote. Those are the words of Eugene Peterson. Now, far more important than any of your knowledge of the author of those words is the truth of those words. The Bible is God speaking to us. And prayer is us speaking to this God who speaks to us through the Scriptures. Another author who gets at the heart of this burden is a man named Joel Beakey that I've come to appreciate over the years. In his outstanding book on prayer called Taking Hold of God, Joel Beakey observes, one reason your prayer life may be drooping is because you have neglected the Holy Scriptures. 
prayer is a two-way conversation. We need to listen to God, not just talk to Him. Now listen to this. We do not listen to God by emptying our minds and waiting for a thought to spontaneously come to mind. That's non-Christian mysticism. We listen to God by filling our minds with the Bible because the Bible is God speaking in written form. When you read the Bible, do so with the intent of responding to God's word with prayer. Every scripture passage is fuel for burning prayers. And then he ends by quoting the Puritan Thomas Manton, who said, Plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. God is tender of his word. So, do you pray the promises of God? Old Testament saints did. Listen to King David in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, 27 to 28, David prays, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. You are God, and your words are true. You've promised this good thing. Okay, did you hear it? The way that David's mind works with reference to the promises of God. The house here that David mentions isn't David's physical house, a, a palace, uh, even more than, any more than it's God's physical house, the temple. The house in question here was David's family, this royal lineage that was going to come from David and extend out to forever. God told David that he would establish his throne forever. He told him that. But notice that the promise didn't create inertia or apathy or passiveness on David's part. God promised, so David prayed what? He prayed the promise. He showed God his handwriting. Old Testament saints prayed this way. New Testament saints pray this way too. The final words of Jesus in the Bible are Revelation 22:20. 20. Revelation 22:20. Jesus says, you know what he says, Surely I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. Those five words are not the end of verse 20. They're a, they're a promise, they're a prophecy in fact. The last and greatest prophecy of God's word in the entire Bible. And if you know the rest of the verse, it's not met with dead air from his people. It's followed, it's answered with a prayer. I'll read the whole verse. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And the answer, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the prayer. So not only does every word of God in Scripture deserve to be answered by us in prayer, not only do the 4,017 predictive prophecies in Holy Scripture merit our prayerful attention, but it's also true that Scripture itself contains hundreds, if not thousands, of prayers. Examples of prayers. Some prayers are praises. Some prayers are confessions. Some are thanksgivings, and some, like our text this morning, are supplications. Supplications, of course, as the name intimates, has to do with supply. 
Supply assumes that there is a supplier with a reserve of goods, an accumulation of resources, a stockpile of assets for us in our poverty. We've been studying the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, and this study has been called Concerning the Coming of Our Lord, and the topic all month has been Biblical Prophecy. The first half of this letter roughly deals with end-time beliefs. The second half of this letter, starting in chapter 2, verse 13, deals with end-time behavior. But both halves of the letter, back half and front half, are shot through with prayers. Specifically, these are supplications. They're, they're requests and they're petitions of God. They are big asks of a big God. So our focus this morning is the two central prayers of the letter that you heard read for you. One's from the apostles for the people, and the other one is for the people. It's a request that the apostles have of them. So it's going to be a two-way street of supplication for one another. We'll look at both sides of it this morning. When we talk to God in prayer, we're addressing the omni- competent, omnipotent, sovereign of the universe. And as we do, we are wise to remember the beautiful words of hymn writer John Newton who said, when praying, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. So as we pray in these last days, let us remember that thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. You say, how large? Well, look with me once again at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that we pray for you? Your pastors and elders and leaders and other mentors in this church, we pray for you. I'm going to use the word pastors here, but I mean that in the broadest possible sense. Leaders in this church pray for you. We pray for you on our own. Pray for you when we're together. Your pastors are praying. You want to know what we're praying? First point today. Mount Evangelical Free Church, your pastors are praying for your progressive sanctification. Your pastors are praying for your progressive sanctification. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, remember the context, you've got to go back a few weeks to remember this, but he has just unfolded the biblical teaching concerning the soon return of Jesus, the glorious appearing, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's been heralding that great truth. And the second coming of Christ, Paul says, is going to mean salvation for those who believe and damnation for those who don't. I didn't mean to set you up as believers and unbelievers. Sorry about that. Salvation for those of us who believe. Damnation for those who don't. He's just said that. 
And now in view of that day, in view of the day of the Lord, the first half of verse 11 says, to this end, to the end of the coming of Christ, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Now, that is an extraordinary prayer request. I, I hope that sounds extraordinary to your ears. And as extraordinary as it is, it's actually stock vocabulary for the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with Paul's letters. Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In fact, even if the Thessalonians didn't have any of those letters, which they hadn't because they hadn't been written yet, they still would have been familiar with this type of thinking. For in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And here, that idea of being worthy is linked with an explicit prayer request in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. It's an explicit prayer request as he tells them, We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Now, unless we see what Paul is actually praying here, we're going to end up with an anti-gospel, aren't we? We're going to end up with the reverse of something that Paul's actually praying for them. One commentator I read put it really well this way. The divine call for Paul refers to God's action in the past. The prayer request here is that God will so work in their lives that their present conduct will demonstrate that they have responded to the past call of God. That's exactly right. Now, there's, there's multiple places in the epistles of Paul where we could see it, but just stay right here in Thessalonians. I'll give you two examples of Paul talking this way. In last week's text, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see it? That's one example. Here, here's one more before we do some application. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You hear it that time? So, this is what Paul is praying in the first half of verse 11. That if you are a Christian, you have already been called by God, by His grace. And if you are a believer who has experienced that calling then he urges you to live up to that calling. Or the way that you've heard me say it probably countless times before is that the grace of God is not just about pardon, it's about power. The grace of God doesn't merely address our pardon for sin. It also provides for our power over sin. Who doesn't need that this morning? 
Mount Evangelical Free Church, your pastors are praying for your progressive sanctification. Like Paul says, we do it all the time. The front half of every one of our elder meetings are spent praying in large measure for your progressive sanctification, for your growth in holiness. And just so we don't leave the elders out, whatever elders care list we're praying over, we pray for him and his family first, and then we pray for the group that they're responsible for. But when we pray, we're praying for your progress in holiness. We're praying that you would increase in your love for others. We pray that you would increase in your ability to tell the truth, even when telling the truth would be inconvenient. We're praying for your courage. We're praying for your wisdom, your self-control, for your character. Why do we pray for it? Well, because Paul prayed for it. But ultimately because of what Paul says in verse 12. Do you notice the so that in verse 12? This is like the why of the prayer. As you progressively come to know not just the pardon of Christ's cross, but the power of his empty tomb, verse 12 says... so that the name of the Lord Jesus is glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know how sinful I am. My answer to that is perhaps not. But when we pray for you, we take heart as we pray for ourselves, that we are coming to a king. Large petitions with us we bring. Petitions for the shattering of life, long-standing enslavements to addictive substances and behaviors. Petitions for the mending of broken marriages and the reconciliation of spouses. We bring petitions for prodigal sons and daughters. We bring petitions for prodigal husbands and wives. We bring petitions for the mortification, the killing of your own sin, and the growth in godliness that God would want. Why would we shoot that big? We're coming to a king. Large petitions with us we bring. So Mount Evangelical Free Church, your pastors are praying. They're praying for your progressive sanctification. Secondly, your pastors are praying for your plans for mission. Your pastors are praying for your plans for mission. We've looked at the first prayer request here in verse 11. Let's briefly consider that second one. Once again, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So let's, let's isolate that prayer request. Paul is praying that God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Did you know that there's actually a prayer like that in the Bible? Can you pray it? It's a big request. It's a huge ask. Here's what the request is in a nutshell. The apostles are praying that God would make good on all that the Thessalonian believers dream and do for the kingdom. 
that God would make good on that, that God would complete their resolves for good and all that they dream and do for the kingdom. Did you know there's a prayer like that in the Bible? <laughs> do you know we pray this one for you too? Years ago, I copied out the prayers of Paul and then reduced them to a prayer list that sits on the back side of my Bible reading plan. I just stick it in the flyleaf of my Bible. It's been there for 10 years, and it comes out every time we pray for you as elders, and it comes out every time I pray for you at my kitchen table. I've prayed this routinely, regularly for you for over a decade. This particular request is one that we hit often. We aren't just praying for your holiness. We're praying that God would be at work using your goals for His glory. Your pastors are praying for your plans for mission. Just a few mo moments ago, we heard about Guy Runkle's heart for gamers. Isn't that fascinating? The world of RPGs, role-playing games, that may mean nothing to you if you have no exposure to it, but it is a huge subculture in our nation, in the West Tonka area alone, and it's only grown over the years. What started as a modest underground movement of folks gathered around tabletops, I remember my stepbrother Jim playing D&D &D in the basement 20 years ago, what started as a, a small group of folks in certain outcroppings throughout the country has exploded into a multi-billion dollar industry with the digital age. Clash of Clans, Final Fantasy, World of Warcraft, countless other MMOs, that's mul massive multiplayer online games, that's a thing, MMOs, massive multiplayer online games, they are unbelievably popular. And along comes Guy Runkle, a gamer with a resolve for good. A, a work of faith, a plan for mission. He wants to reach these guys and gals with the gospel through gaming. That's glorious. I'm praying for him. I'm praying with him. It's just a dream right now. It's becoming a resolve. Let's pray that God might fulfill this resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Amen. Now for you, it's not a, a mission to the world of role-playing games. It never will be. But maybe for you, it's a ministry to senior adults. You know, it's the largest bulge in the population right now as the baby boomers begin to hit 65, 66, 67, 68. It's a huge mission field. Perhaps you have a heart for senior adults. Maybe for you, it's a way to reach guys that like to wrench on their cars. Maybe you've got a heart for other moms nearby in your area. Maybe you're thinking of a, a book group or a, a cooking club that we could pray with you about. Perhaps it's a, it's a dream that involves the use of your home for hospitality or reaching out to a particular group or in individual in your place of work or at your school or right in your neighborhood. You need to know that we're praying for you. I hope that you'll come and pray with us this Wednesday evening, 645 here in the sanctuary. Come for Wednesday night dinner or just come at 645 and meet us for prayer. We'll go for 60 minutes and we will pray around our 2020 vision. We will pray for our lists of five by name. We will pray for all the people that you want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will pray for the growth of covenant membership in this church. Our goal was to have 40 new covenant members between January 20, 
between January 2015 and 2020, we are two toward our 40. We have 38 to go. Come pray for the development of leaders who reproduce themselves. Pray for the launching of community groups. Pray for the counseling ministry that we want to see underneath the care of this church. Pray for global missionaries to be launched. And pray for the church that we're aiming to plant in January 2020. We're not going to let go of this vision, but it needs to be prayed into reality. So Mount Evangelical Free Church, your pastors are praying. We're praying for your progressive sanctification. We're praying for your plans to mission. If you have no plans for mission, use our plan for mission. The 2020 vision's not half bad. And with what time that remains, I'd like to show you two verses that you can be praying for us. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 to 5. And in the time that remains, we're going to spend it on two verses, two ways that you can be praying for your pastors. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And we pray that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts toward the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. There's, there's so much in those five verses that I would like to take up, but we'll, we'll satisfy ourselves with the first two verses for the purposes of prayer. Two particular ways you can be praying for your pastors, your elders, other leaders. First, Mount Evangelical Free Church, pray for your pastor's preaching. Pray for your pastor's preaching. Verse 1 again. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now, in verse 1, Paul likens the gospel, which is the way, is shorthand for the word of the Lord. That's the gospel, the message of the gospel. He likens the gospel to an Olympic distance runner. And it would be an image that the folks in Thessalonica would have been real familiar with in the ancient world. They knew about the, the games. It's a vivid image, isn't it? We see this sort of image. I think Paul probably takes it from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 15 says that God sends out his command to the earth and his word runs swiftly. So his word doesn't need our assistance. His word does just fine on its own. His word runs swiftly. Isn't that great? That's true. That's what God's word does, independent of us. God has promised that he will honor his word and cause it to prosper. Nevertheless, notice that Paul implores that the church would pray that God might bring such circumstances to pass. He's praying a promise of God. Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. You think God is, you think his ears perk up when he hears a prayer like that? I think he does. Yes, he does. It's music to his ears when we pray this way. Like, if you wondered how interested God is in his promises, think about it this way if you have a child. 
two-year-old comes up to you, grandchild, child, and says, could I have a hug? How interested are you in gathering that child up onto your lap? Nothing has ever kept me from giving my kids a hug when they wanted it. They are, they are speaking my language. So too with God when he hears his promises being made. In fact, the language we can even get stronger. The Puritans talked about bringing a suit to God, S-U-I-T, like a law suit. That John Newton quote at the top of your sermon outline comes from an old hymn, Come my soul, thy suit prepare, not suit, but lawsuit. I will bring to God his very promise and hold him to it. And when God has promised that he will bless his word, there's only one thing he loves more than blessing his word, and that's blessing his word in relationship to the prayers of his people for it. So pray for it. Just this past week, I counted 11 different opportunities apart from preaching or time with my family that I had just in the normal uh, warp and woof of, of the week to bring the word of God to bear in people's lives. Pray for our preaching and teaching and counseling and discipling and mentoring and shepherding. Pray for your pastors and elders by name. Pray for Seth and Dave Brickley and Andy and Randy and me. Just this past week, I was thinking back over it. I had opportunities to connect with folks at different times to open the word from leadership development to a counseling opportunity to a hospital visit to a couple of different community group Bible studies, encouragement of fellow pastors in the area. I know that his word runs swiftly. You do too. That's why we use it so often. But we ought to lean on each other's prayers in this regard. I'm leaning on your prayers big time. So pray for the ministry of the word that it would indeed speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you here. Secondly, and lastly, and I might say providentially this morning, Mount Evangelical Free Church, please pray for your pastor's protection. Please pray for your pastor's protection. Verse 2, pray for us that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul, I think, was thinking about the tares among the wheat that are a reality in every congregation. He's at least thinking about the false teachers that somehow got in between First and Second Thessalonians, remember that? and got them all scrambled on the, their eschatology, their thinking about what the Bible says about the future. And so he's, pray that we would be delivered from such. There are wolves in the church that wear sheep's clothes. I think that's what Paul's referring to. Of course, there are also wolves in the culture that wear wolves' clothes, right? And then there is indwelling sin in the heart of every Christian leader, that is perhaps his most formidable enemy in the world. You know the old Cherokee legend of a grandfather who says to his grandson, there's a terrible fight raging in my soul between two wolves, one good and one evil. And the grandson asks his grandfather, Grandfather, which one wins? 
grandfather says to his grandson, the one that I feed. Right? My greatest problem is not outside of me. It's within me. I've met the enemy. He's me. Most of our lives, we bleed from knives that cut from the inside out. Those are the words of Michael Kelly Blanchard, my favorite Christian musician. Friends, I don't have to tell you that the body count is high in pastoral ministry. And they're stacking up all around me, right and left. At Christianity Today, Dr. Ed Stetzer, who I had the privilege to take a class with about seven years ago, said that based on his conversation with vocational ministers and pastors and elders and lay leaders just this past week, he expects 400 resignations of pastors before their congregations at this moment because of the Ashley Madison hack. 400 pastors, elders, ministry leaders. And those are just the ones on Ashley Madison. Please pray for your pastor's protection. Pray for your pastor's protection from wolves in sheep's clothing. Wouldn't minimize that. Pray for your pastor's protection from wolves in wolves' clothing. But pray for the wolves that are within. One of the men at the highest level of leadership in the Evangelical Free Church of America had such a fall this past two weeks. It breaks my heart. Pray for your pastor's preaching. Yes. But pray for your pastor's protection. And something else I want to tell you, because you always wonder when your pastor talks this way. That's why I took 92 days off this past summer. I saw people dropping all around me, and I thought, if I could just have three months <laughs> to go deep with God, to put my family first again, to think about spiritual health and, and so on and then move out again afresh into another decade of ministry. Maybe I could make another decade of ministry. I want to tell you, thank you. And I know that I can. The investment that you made in me was worthy. And you're going to see it borne out over the years ahead. God has graciously spared me and other leaders in this church. But there but for the grace of God goes any of us. So pray for your pastor's preaching, but pray for our protection. So as we pray in these last days, let us remember, thou art coming to a king. Coming to a king. So large petitions with thee bring. Mount Free Church, your pastors are praying. We are praying for you, praying for your progressive sanctification. We're praying for your plans for mission. So Mount Free Church, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors preaching. Pray for your pastors protection. One week from today is Labor Day weekend. It's also our final Sunday in 2 Thessalonians. We'll finish our study of chapter 3, and then we'll also wrap things up with a look at some of the benedictions that are scattered across these pages. But right now, let's pray. Father in heaven, who are we? The body of believers here at Mount Evangelical Free Church 
those that you've given the privilege of leading within this body. Lord, we need you so much. We need one another. We lean on each other's prayers. And I want to thank you publicly, Lord. I have friends, I have acquaintances that have stumbled and fallen and are out of the ministry. And it grieves me. I know folks in the church that are drifting. And I pray, Lord, that you would, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty shepherd of the sheep, that you would bring repentance and restoration and replenishment and that you would feed us and and fuel us for the days ahead. Lord, we are so hopeful. We follow a risen and soon-to-return King. Would you come and breathe on a message like this and create as we've said before in this church, spiritual Navy SEALs who now will move out into this world where it's so dark. Lord, I I pray that we wouldn't be a, a church as the darkness falls that just stares down the sinful culture or worse yet, just shouts down the culture around us. I pray that we would throw a towel over our arm and serve this culture. I pray that we would lead people to Jesus just as people have led us to Jesus. And may we grow deep and strong in our roots of holiness and plans for mission and preaching and protect it all with your grace. It's only by your grace that we stand. In Jesus' name, amen.